Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 105 with... Joseph Makos and... Joseph Bievenet. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. So it's a quiet 4th of July on Aretha Castle Hale here. It's incredibly quiet. In fact, there's not even a single car on the street. Except for our cars. <laughs> it's a lot of trucks, though. Yeah, I mean, even though it's the 4th of July, it's on a what, Thursday? Yeah, yeah. What's really interesting is when 4th of July falls on like a Thursday or a Wednesday, it's like, most of a lot of people still have to work. Not everyone has yeah, to, not people everyone. have to work, or but I, I think some people take off and do a long weekend, right? Yeah, I guess do a long weekend, but but I think it's also what it's Essence Fest this weekend, so they're probably all all the actions downtown right now. Uh, I've seen quite a bit of action downtown as of late, um, but yeah, it's pretty hopping. I don't know. It seems pretty hopping in some places of the city, and other places of the city, it kind of seems kind of dead. Yeah. Yeah. We're in, we're in New Orleans, so I mean, I've always thought since coming to New Orleans, I mean, at least at least growing up in Cleveland where like 4th of July is like a huge thing. And I mean, like it's a huge thing, you know, it's like so yeah. many people just blowing fireworks off in their streets and it's just a massive thing. I kind of feel like here it's more centrally located somewhat and I'm not too sure if um well, don't you people think, think like- more are into more Bastille Day here than me. Well, yeah, I don't think like I don't think Fourth of July is a big deal in New Orleans, first of all, and mostly people are just at their family or friends' houses, just barbecuing or something. There's not like it's not like a bunch of events. No. All the events are for tourists, right? I mean, we used to have like this huge thing, and it was like the whole city would come to it, and they would, it was like it was like fireworks on the Fourth of July to oldies music, like in the park, and it was like going for hours, you know. I think when we went through Cleveland, we were there Did for we do the 4th, but we didn't make it or something. No one wanted to go. Edwin, damn you. <laughs> didn't want to go. Connor was off being maybe too drunk and <laughs> trying to chase after But anyway, we're getting kind of sidetracked. So I don't know. We thought maybe we'd do a 4th of July episode today. But it is kind of weird because I've never been... I've never cared a whole lot about Fourth of July uh, necessarily, but I figured you know we'd find some some Fourth of July poems, uh huh, or you know America poems or whatever. I think we did somewhat. Uh, I think we did, and I think we're gonna maybe find even a few more <laughs> before the before the things before the episode's <laughs> over. But the one that I found, uh, maybe just open up with this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by the way, we're trying to stay away from the trite, per se, people I know. It's like some stuff you may know, but this is one that maybe you do, or maybe you don't really associate with 4th of July, but this is, this is next to, of course, God, America, I, by E.E. Cummings. Next to, of course, God, America, I, love you, land of the pilgrims, and so forth, oh, Say, can you see by the dawn's early my country, tis of centuries come and go, and are no more what of it we should worry, in every language, even deaf and dumb, thy sons acclaim your glorious name, by gory, by jingo, by gee, by gosh, by gum. Why talk of beauty, what could be more beautiful than these heroic, happy dead, who rushed like lions to the roaring slaughter. They did not stop to think they died instead. Then shall the voice of liberty be mute. He spoke and drank rapidly a glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Cummings was probably like, one thing about the American mindset, let's talk a little bit, let's go back a little bit, just maybe to think about the way that 
things were a hundred years ago for a second. Yeah, yeah. So let's think about America has just gone off to Europe and fought in the Great War. In a, in you know, sending people overseas to fight in a, you know, I mean, to Europe to go fight in this war in Europe, and and you know, uh, the the country has changed. It's sort of the end of the American. It's sort of the a, the end of the age of American innocence. Sort of like from our involvement in the war, but 1914 is sort of the bend of the be- the end of the Belle Epoque. So when 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 well, in Cummings was, when he's writing this, yeah, yeah, but he was well, he he was in the war. Mm-hmm. So I mean, for him too, it's like a personal disillusionment as well. Wasn't he a prisoner of war or something? Was Cummings a prisoner of war? P.O.W.? I might be wrong, but I thought he was. Was he not? I mean, I'm now remembering something about this. Might have to come back to that and look that up. Let's look real quick. I think he might have been. Okay. During their service, hold on. 1917, the first world war going on in Europe, Cummings enlisted in North Hampshire, uh, the Norton Harries Ambulance Corps on the boat. To France, he met William Slaughter Brown. Slater Brown had become fast friends due to mystery of mix-up. Cummings and Browns were not assigned to the ambulance unit for five weeks, during which time the two of them explored Paris. He fell in love with the city, to which he would return throughout yeah, his life. Yeah, I found it. Look, they were held. He was arrested by the French military on suspicion of espionage. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and was imprisoned with other detainees. Yeah, he has that... Uh, that's his novel, right? What is it called? Um, oh, the enormous about, room. The enormous room. That's about it. That. Yeah, I've run into this before. Yeah, that's why I was remembering that. Yeah, uh, but then later in eight, 1918, then he was drafted into the army. Okay. So yes, so yeah, so for him, it's this personal thing. Too. It is this personal thing, and he's writing from a different time, I think, from which you know all these men went off to war, like these brilliant men and women, and they and they fought, and they and they uh, went off to war, and a lot of them didn't come back. So I think like there's like a salty tone from this sort of sad loss, stoic, but not stoic, but also like poignant, kind of like dark. Well, it's also right because recollection of of this, um, yeah. There, there is kind of like a ho hum. So we go and do our thing and our duty now, and that's what we're supposed to do. But we don't do our duty. We go off. And we never come back. The duty that's done is the de- is the death of the boys. Like that's kind of like, it's it's there is like sort of like this like a colorful way that he paints the poem, but also mm-hmm. like it. It has a sing-songy to it, but I think the sing-songy is is like a little bit kind of like patronizing, eye-rolling a little bit, like like. Well, I mean, I think yeah. I mean, as far as co-opting like the the war stuff, right? I mean, part of the thing is right. I mean, you know, we're we're it's Fourth of July, it's Independence Day, right? And, and up until World War One, right? I mean, we we still had this very romanticized idea of of war in America that it was for some. Because that's how the nation began, or whatever. That it's for some noble cause. Yeah. But but it's funny, right? I mean, so you found that Cummings poem, and I was looking for for more poems about America, and they're all pretty negative. Uh, I mean, the history of American literature is like people becoming disillusioned with patriotism uh, in the early part, and then just straight up not being patriotic anymore which is weird i think i think that's unusual i think it's this high level of nationalism that we were like uh heading that we were experiencing in this particular particular time at least that's what i'm seeing through the newspaper archives like i'm seeing that there's like this sort of high level of american nationalism like especially with like that the neo think about this for a second one, we use Roman figures on our dimes, our coins at this point. Yeah. yeah. We, we use we use a foxies on the back of the dime with mercury, right? Yeah. Still and, 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 and it says, and then we have the standing liberty, and then we have the, the, the profile of liberty across the crown. It says liberty. So this figure of liberty, this female figure of liberty, is really specific, and it's really particular, 
It's like this, it's like a new, it's like a rebranding of Manifest Destiny, like in that type of period where America is really starting to brand itself in a way that's consistent with the rest of the European countries. Think about it. Yeah. They yeah, kind of do it in an sure, earlier way sure. and it's a little cleaner than say like the way that, right, the, 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 say like, you know, the Germans do it later on, but a few, like decade later, but like even long was like, Every man a king type of populist yeah, type but, of like I think it's funny, rebrand. Right? His but, his particular rebrand of the literature south literature doesn't really glob onto that in any sort of way, right? After a certain point, right? Even by the time you get to Whitman, the only praise of America is in the praise of the common man, not in the praise of the state, right? And I don't just mean like government-wise. It's like, you know, it's got to be about the people, which is, I guess, part of, you know, how the mythology of America has evolved. But it's pretty different from, from other countries in that way. I think, it, I think it shifts there. Yeah. I think that's the shift. I think, I think based, upon, based on what I'm seeing sort of the, through the visual aesthetics – and also the the merger of this newspaper is related to it in that exact time during basically like the merger happens right before World War One breaks out. Like it's almost uncanny how quickly that year, 1914, changes everything because it's like – think about this. The newspaper merges, the political identity of the city, the war – by the end of the year, the war breaks out and then – and then, and then Joseph, like, think about this, like, at the end, at, at the end of the 19 teens, we're, we're still, everybody in America is still, is still living by candlelight. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, like, in the next 10 years, it all becomes electrified. And yeah. why do you think that happens? It's because of all the technologies that we developed for the World War One. Sure. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. And how that comes into the, how well, that's how and, that's brought and, into and modern some of the usage existed, but the industrialization, aviation that, that has to go into effect, optics, to make all of these yeah, lenses to make all of this, uh, uh, yeah. uh, medical advances in medical that happens through World War One uh, advances. Uh, yeah, but yeah, but it's but on it's the not, battlefield it's and not, it's not so new much, tools for saving is, soldiers. Some of its technological advances, but some of those things technologies existed, but they weren't widespread because there was not an infrastructure in place to make them widespread, but the war created that infrastructure, right? All yeah. of a sudden you have all these factories that you didn't have. You have a ton of infrastructure. Your yeah. factories, uh, what, what was that? One guy in Boston after like one of the world's fairs. Well, this is a little earlier. This is like a little bit before the century, but in the 1890s or something, he, he, uh, he, had, uh, he had an air rifle manufacturing plant. And then he saw at one of the world's fairs, he, he, he saw the, the, the safety bicycle. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. The safety, the first, you know, the, what, what we know now is like our standard bike, basically. A little different, but it was a fixie, right? Uh, and it was, it was like it had a single chain and it was geared a little different, but pretty close. And, you know, he retooled his air rifle factory to be a bike manufacturing factory. And, dude, it was like... Well, it was like, and that's what happened a lot, right? You had all these factories that were making things for the war, and they had to like, what are we going to do with it now? You gotta yeah. find another uh, business to turn it towards. And yeah, it it, it sort of like um, comes together with the time, a very particular time in which America is, for all intents and purposes, ramping up for her industrial revolution, like her first big. I mean, it was happening before then, but we're talking like, okay, now the Brit, now the now the now the nation is connected through the railways. Now we can move mail from New York to San Francisco in seventy-two hours by plane. Yeah. Okay. No, this changes everything at this exact time because of advances in aviation. We can go from New York to San Francisco, and and you can take a message via a mail basket. In 72 hours. Where before, railroad was probably the quickest you were going to... And telegraph was still like seven days. Yeah. From like when it was printed in the paper to when it was sent up to like, you know, how many days it takes to get to somewhere, you know? But anyways, 
we look at all these advances in technology and, you know, we think about like the sadness and destructive nature of going off to war. And I think to come back to the piece, I think Cummings really here uh, encapsulates it um, in his, in his thought, thoughtful poem. But I think, I think overall it's kind of a, a, a dour, well, it's not, I mean, let me not, I guess not going to just jump into it quite yet because we have a bunch of poems to well, go. We have more poems. But yeah, but I mean, it, it's already even with, even at that time, it's already, there's this, wow, I mean, I don't know. I think we're going to find through most of these poems of America, even the ones that have positive aspects to them, there's this real sense of loss, right? Even that early. It's like something fell off pretty quick. <laughs> what a happy, uh, happy thought, but, you know, it's just kind of how it went, I suppose. We have a listener has sent in some some uh, poems. By the way, we'll come back to these later. But we have some we have some. Uh, a listener sent in some. Poems? We have some. Uh, yeah, we have we have a we have a caller sent in some. <laughs> okay, I don't know. Some, what no, I have I have some uh, I have some I have some some Fourth of July poems by by women. Okay, great. We can come back great. to. So I mean, when we think about America poems, we probably I think the first person people think of is Whitman. And I don't want to really read any Whitman today because I think it's overdone with uh with with that. Um, but I thought, but when I think about fair enough, think about Whitman. I do really like Ginsburg's poem involving Whitman, which I think also has some nice American moments. Although I guess we should say, you know, if you're looking for a wonderfully biting, accurate but kind of depressing poem, you should read Ginsburg's America. But we're not going to read that because we already read that in the. Uh, List poems episode, but I thought we'd look at a supermarket in California. What thoughts I have of you tonight, Walt Whitman? For I walk down the side streets under the trees with a headache, self-conscious, looking at the full moon. In my hungry fatigue and shopping for images, I went into the neon fruit supermarket, dreaming of your enumerations. What peaches and what penumbras? Whole families shopping at night, aisles full of husbands, wives in the avocados, babies in the tomatoes, and you, Garcia Lorca, what are you doing down by the watermelons? I saw you, Walt Whitman, childless, lonely old grubber, poking among the meats in the refrigerator and eyeing the grocery boys. I heard you asking questions of each. Who killed the pork chops? What price bananas? Are you my angel? I wandered in and out of the brilliant stacks of cans following you and followed in my imagination by the store detective. We strode down the open corridors together in our solitary fancy, tasting artichokes, possessing every frozen delicacy and never passing the cashier. Where are we going, Walt Whitman? The doors close in an hour. Which way does your beard point tonight? I touch your book and dream of our odyssey in the supermarket and feel absurd. Will we walk all night through solitary streets? The trees add shade to shade, lights out in the houses. We'll both be lonely. Will we stroll dreaming of the lost America, of love, past blue automobiles and driveways, home to our silent cottage? Ah, dear father, gray beard, lonely old courage teacher, what America did you have when Sharon quit pulling his ferry and you got out on a smoking bank and stood watching the boat disappear on the black waters of Leith? I love that poem. It's a really good poem. And I mean and but like that there's this whole like looking I mean Whit Whitman's already doing that like kind of framing what is America formulating that and Ginsburg is doing the same thing and his and I love that is like thinking about what was it like for you when you died, you know? Can I can I read you one? Yeah, yeah, go for can it. Can I read can I read a poem that I wrote uh as a response to 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 Alan Ginsberg's poem, yeah, yeah, responding yeah. to Whitman, yeah. It's called it's it's a, it's a lament for Alan Ginsberg. Fast the electro punks fall to the beat. Energy that night slick streets does not replace. Fast the society confuses dusk with dawn, and significant advances in compassion, mislaid values. At five dollars a bottle, who can afford this water? I walk the slick ash streets gape, stretch my mouth under the runoffs of rain cigarette butts still sit between cracks in the bricks for eternity. 
of no thought with decomposition. One darts out into the street any more to bark at the silver that hangs low, low upon the starvation of this ravenous night. And where are you, shaman, monk, child, loving angel of American musical folklore? Burly-haired, black-rimmed glasses, tell me where all this is going. Where has the energy of beat-down time seeped off to? Where have you since existed off to? I am starving tonight for something of your spell. Where is there a market where I can shop for images, a live neon of produce that doesn't already smell rotten of the shelf, that doesn't rob my pockets of their minimum wage? I sift through the waves of moving circles, combo, platter, idolatry, to find a freckle of analog gold. Is it into the tree of words I should escape? Is it into a fire of lust I should bow my plastic-soled shoes? I creep around the corner of cellars and masts with urgency, and I smell china, of food, some sort of musty smoke beer of the Republic, and I ask, who are these people, these nine-to-fivers buying all the seepage? Did John Smith see them in his dreams of Boston? Should I ask for their drunken attention to read my lament of this stroll hearty breathing? Sleep tonight on the oily banks of the Charles and ask if it's true that I am the last of a species, as if this poem has already been written by a grubber in Iowa or a farmer in California. Stephen is on a barren bed in Richmond and Scott in the district sleeping alone. I am up here bleeding, in need of nothing, more than nothing, and sacred than that thread of directive. How come when I stretch my hand over the frozen shift, nothing stings more swiftly than an urging, than a prompting to escape into its icy shallow? I ask you, where is my angel now? You were in Boston when you were with that? I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. So that was like my, like, I don't know, I was like responding to Ginsburg. Well, you know, and it's funny. Well, I mean, because, like, I mean, of course, like, Ginsburg. The question of where America has come yeah, now. But, of like, course, like, it's not a coincidence Ginsburg's poem's set in a supermarket, right? And, like, you get this, and you're picking up on those things, too. But it's, like, the economy gone out of control. Totally. Like, the voracious beast of America. Like, kind of what happens, Right becomes the whole well and it's funny we were i mean cummings is not really talking about that but then we kind of ended up getting there that is like a result of the war too right definitely like you get this you never could turn that back the positive things happened from that initially i guess economy wise but then you couldn't turn it off again i you can't really turn it off <laughs> you know you can't you just got to move forward there's no way there's actually no way of, there's no possible way of turning it off well i don't know maybe there is but i don't know if I don't see it as likely to happen. I don't know. We can try to shift it. But, oh yeah, so since we're, since we're on our existential dread of capitalism, maybe, yeah, let's... maybe a more modern, modern America poem. This is Tony Hoagland, America. Then one of the students with blue hair and a tongue stud says that America is for him a maximum security prison whose walls are made of Radio Shacks and Burger Kings and MTV episodes, where you can't tell the show from the commercials. And as I consider how to express how full of shit I think he is, he says that even when he's driving to the mall in his Isuzu Trooper with a gang of his friends, letting rap music pour over them like a boiling jacuzzi full of ball-peen hammers, even then he feels buried alive, captured and suffocated in the folds of the thick satin quilt of America. And I wonder if this is a legitimate category of pain, or whether he's just spin-doctoring a better grade. And then I remember that when I stabbed my father in the dream last night, it was not blood, but money that gushed out of him. Bright green hundred-dollar bills spilling from his wounds, and this is the weird part. He gasped, thank God, those Ben Franklins were clogging up my heart, and so I perish happily, freed from that which kept me from my liberty. Which was when I knew it was a dream, since my dad would never speak in rhymed couplets. And I look at the student with his acne and cell phone and phony ghetto clothes, and I think, I'm asleep in America, too, and I don't know how to wake myself either. And I remember what Mark said near the end of his life. I was listening to the cries of the past when I should have been listening to the cries of the future. 
but how could he have imagined a hundred channels of 24-hour cable or what kind of nightmare it might be when each day you watch rivers of bright merchandise run past you and you're floating in your pleasure boat upon this river even while others are drowning underneath you and you see their faces twisting in the surface of the waters and yet it seems to be your own hand which turns the volume higher. I mean, we could just keep rattling off poems here because this one's really... <laughs> All right, go for it, yeah. Poem for 4th of July. Sorry, Poem for July 4th, 1994 by Sonia Sanchez. It's for President ba Vaclav Havel. Hmm. One. It is essential that summer be grafted to bones, marrow, earth, clouds, blood, the eyes of our ancestors. It is essential to smell the beginning words where Washington, Madison, Hamilton, Adams, Jefferson assembled amid cries of, the people lack of information. We grow more and more skeptical. The Constitution is a triple-headed monster. Blacks are property. It is essential to remember how cold the sun, how warm the snow snapping around the ragged feet of soldiers and slaves. It is essential to string the sky with the salvia of Slavs and Germans and Anglos and French and Italians, and Scandinavians, and Spaniards, and Mexicans, and Poles, and Africans, and Native Americans, it is essential that we always repeat, we the people. We the people. We the people. Two, let us go into the fields, one brother told the other brother, and the sound of exact death raising tombs across the centuries, across oceans, across the land. Three, it is essential that we finally understand this is the time for the creative human being, the human being who decides to talk upright in a human fashion in order to save this earth from extinction. This is the time for the creative man, woman, who must decide that she, he, can live in space, racial and sexual justice on this earth. This is the time for you and me, African, American, whites, Latinos, gays, Asian, Jews, Native American, lesbians, Muslims. All of us must finally bury this, the elite elitism of race superiority, the elitism of sexual superiority, the elitism of economic superiority, the elitism of religious superiority. We must, so we welcome you on the celebration of 218 years Philadelphia, America. So we salute you and say, come, come, come move out of this world, nourish your lives with the spirituality that, all, that allows us to respect each other's birth. Come, Come, nourish the world where every three days 120,000 children die of starvation, the effects of starvation. Come, come, come nourish the world where we will no longer hear the, the screams and cries of women, girls, the children in Bosnia, El Salvador, Rwanda, Mama, Dada, Mamacita, Baba, Mama, Papa, Mama, Papi. The soldiers are marching in the streets near the hospitals, but the nurse say, we are safe, and the soldiers are laughing, marching, firing, calling out to us. I don't want to die. Die. I am only 9 years old. I am only 10 years old. I am only 11 years old. I cannot get out of bed because they have cut off one of my legs, and I hear the soldiers coming toward our rooms, and I hear the screams, and the children are running out of the room. I can't get out of the bed. I don't want to die. Let me die. Rwanda, America, United Nations, don't let me die. And if we nourish ourselves, our communities, our countries, and say, no more Hiroshima, no more Auschwitz, no more Wounded Knee, no more Middle Passage, no more slavery, no more Bosnia, no more Rwanda, no more intoxicating ideas of racial superiority as we walk toward abundance, we will never forget the earth, the sea, the people, children. For we, the people, will always be arriving. A ceremony of the thunder Walk, waking up the earth, opening our eyes to human monuments, and it'll be better. It'll get better. If we the people work, organize, resist, come together for peace, racial, social, and sexual justice, it'll be better. It'll be better. Okay. Kind of hopeful by the end, I suppose. I was going to say, maybe you, could, maybe you could take that and edit that out and just put it at the end of the, well, the whole no, episode. I know, I'm just kidding. No, but I mean, it's kind of helpful. Then. I don't know if I believe that, but... Well... <laughs> I mean, I wish. I mean, maybe at one point. When was that written? 
1994. Uh, maybe maybe I would have believed that in 1994. I don't know yeah. if I'd believe that now. No, I don't necessarily believe it now. I don't know. I mean, how do we get... I do think there's a difference, right? Like, how do we get from... Oh, I don't think even in the 90s, even when I was high school, in high school or anything, I don't think I was even at that point particularly... Uh, proud to call myself American in any sort of way, but I do feel like even though there were lots of horrible things in, in a distorted, and it was super distorted, there was still like some basis of some of those original principles, maybe, you know? Now it's like hard to even... Are we even in the in the? Are we even pretending? <laughs> I think we're definitely pretending. I think we're definitely pretending. I think we're pretending it isn't happening. <laughs> right? That's remember I did those posters. Pretend it isn't happening. Yeah. Pretend it isn't the happening. Mandalay. Yeah. I mean, the, when we when we came up with that, it was like that's what we were thinking. It's like everyone's basically pretending it's not happening right now. And that's well, kind of where I think we are. That's where I think we are right now. Don't you think? I don't know. I mean, I I think there it. I think in some ways there's maybe more awareness of what's going wrong than ever, but there's no way out of it, or no palatable way out of it, and that's the problem. Is people want something that's palatable, right? And uh, you know, I don't. No, like that poem's like, oh, maybe if we protest. And do I don't think that's something that's effective anymore. I don't think that's something that we're... It's too far gone for that to be the way out of it anymore. And especially when you have people who are like... It's not like people who are the worst offenders of doing these things are admitting that they're doing them, Right? And it, and it's always kind of been like that, but it's just worse, worse, worse. Right? I think we're like, I think we're like, yeah, I think we're like, I think we're 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 like we're like post we're like in post apology. We're like we're like post apologetic democracy. We're like we're like totally not even dem dem democratic anymore. We're like we're like we're like a an oligarchy that got co opted somehow by. Well, I mean, we haven't been for a while, but it's worse than ever, right? I don't know that there's, like, an illusion of... I don't know. So I was looking at... Because I was thinking at it, too. Not exactly poetry, but since he's a poet, I was looking at William Carlos Williams in The American Green, mm -hmm. which is prose. But He has some things to say, I'm sure. Well, I was, he has a lot of stuff. There's, I mean, it's a great... If you haven't read that, you should really read it. It's. I know it's not the most popular Williams work, but um, he's he's really pretty insightful when he's talking about those things too. But this is from the section "The Virtue of History," where he's talking about Aaron Burr. So he really is talking about like right after the revolution, and I thought this part was pretty interesting in thinking about it. The revolution came with Washington, the pin about which all hearts revolved. Most were satisfied with the obvious, England, the oppressor, from whom freedom must be won. So when the war is over, why, there you are. But where are they? Sooner or later, it must have been the same awakening without the revolution. The war was nothing. It was a war to the death that absorbed all loyal hearts and nearly all wits. They were at their wits' end. But there were some saving minds. I say, compared to the great burst of a reawakened sense of life in the spirit of the new world, the war was nothing. But in those agonies, that spirit nearly died. It had been a sense of rebirth, not so much a declaration of independence against little England as an announcement to heaven itself, full of pride and of deep feeling. England must be beaten, but under that there was a deeper and stronger force passing through the moment. There would be few to realize that undersong. England by chance stood in the way, but the defeat of England was the obvious false end. 
And now, a race in the making, America must remember what in its hour of excitement it had promised. Its declarations, its pronouncements, its Patrick Henry speeches. Were these just expedients of war to spur to battle, or was it serious? There will be two opinions, and if the small attempt to absorb the great, much will be left over. The most, perhaps, two parts, a greater and a less, the lesser biting on the larger, the war won, all fatigued. Would not the way be smoothed for the easy deception that the obvious thing, liberty, had triumphed? I mean, that's right on. <laughs> right? And he wrote that when? <laughs> what year was this? I mean, <laughs> uh, 1933. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing, right? This is not new stuff. But 86 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> it's not new, right? But it's like, but, but, but I mean, like, that's, that's, the thing, right? I mean, the the idea of liberty, the idea of, uh, you know, and, and, and it's not like America invented that. We were like borrowed that from the French. I mean, here we are in New Orleans, same thing, right? This idea of of liberty in a true sense, but it's like, that's, a, that's great, but it's so easy to turn that into a fake. I mean, I like that. We'll, 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 will they remember what they promise? The declarations that they made, right? Yeah. I don't think anyone could say right now. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Oh, man, I bet there's a bunch of other stuff in that book. Oh, there's so much. We it's a great into, book. But... It's a great book. Yeah. But, I mean, we're going to... This is a poetry podcast, not a... I feel like you could just dip into this almost like at random. Find find something about America. Here you go. Here's a, here's a nice here's I a nice little like American. Here, here's a, here's a, here's a little Amer a, a Williams American piece, page thirty nine. This is the, this is the part that starts the fountain of eternal youth. It says history, history, we fools, what do we know or care? History begins for us with murder. And enslavement, not with discovery. No, we are not Indians, but we are men of their world. The blood means nothing. The spirit, the ghost of the land movers in the blood, moves the blood. It is we who ran to the shore naked. We who cried, heavenly man. These are the inhabitants of our souls, our murdered souls that lie. Ah! Listen, I tell you, it was lucky for Spain the first ship put its men ashore where it did. If the Italian had landed in Florida, one twist of the helm north, or among the islands a hair more to the south, among the Yamases with their sharpened bones and fish pines, among the Caribs with their poison darts, it might have begun differently. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I could go on and on, but that's, you know what I mean? Yeah, I forgot how good that book is. That might be the perfect, uh, if you're looking for something, it's not poetry exactly, but it is Williams. Yeah, if you want a good read, take take a look, good pick it up, we can put July a read. link to it in the American Grain. Yeah, maybe a just a, a, re a good read on sort of picking up on some sort of like American democracy uh, early recollections from like I guess like a, a an era where there where he's like I mean think he's starting to rethink the his I mean he's like here he is rethinking the history of the 1930s yeah you know yeah and this is like what a lot of these people were doing and Williams seems to be going a little bit deeper where like other movements and other like art forms like would borrow from some of that stuff but kind of in an appropriative way. I think, yeah. I think Williams is going a little deeper and examining it, like Olson does in the Maximus poems. If we really want to get into some like Americana, yeah, I mean, I could, sure I could, I could find one, and we could come back to it in a minute. But um, yeah. yeah, what else do you have? Do you have any? Uh, 
Um, we may have read this in a previous episode. I don't remember, but but I also, it, you know, thinking about American poems, it made me think of, uh, might have read this in the uh, list poem too, Ferlinghetti, uh, I Am Waiting. I am waiting for my case to come up, and I'm waiting for a rebirth of wonder, and I'm waiting for someone to really discover America and wail, and I'm waiting for the discovery of a new symbolic western frontier, and I'm waiting for the American eagle to really spread its wings and straighten up and fly right, and I'm waiting for the age of anxiety to drop dead, and I'm waiting for the war to be fought which will make the world safe for anarchy, and I'm waiting for the final withering away of all governments, and I'm perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder, I'm waiting for the second coming, and I'm waiting for a religious revival to sweep through the state of Arizona, and I'm waiting for the grapes of wrath to be stored, and I'm waiting for them to prove that God is really American, and I'm waiting to see God on television piped onto church altars, if only they can find the right channel to tune in on, and I'm waiting for the Last Supper to be served again with a strange new appetizer, and I'm perpetually awaiting a rebirth of wonder, I'm waiting for my number to be called, and I'm waiting for the Salvation Army to take over, and I'm waiting for the meek to be blessed and inherit the earth without taxes, and I'm waiting for forests and animals to reclaim the earth as theirs, and I'm waiting for a way to be devised to destroy all nationalisms without killing anybody, and I'm waiting for linnets and planets to fall like rain, and I'm waiting for lovers and weepers to lie down together again in a new rebirth of wonder, I'm waiting for the great divide to be crossed, and I'm anxiously waiting for the secret of eternal life to be discovered by an obscure general practitioner, and I'm waiting for the storms of life to be over and I'm waiting to set sail for happiness. I'm waiting for a reconstructed Mayflower to reach America with its picture story and TV rights sold in advance to the natives, and I'm waiting for the lost music to sound again in the lost continent in a new rebirth of wonder. I'm waiting for the day that maketh all things clear, and I'm awaiting retribution for what America did to Tom Sawyer, and I'm waiting for Alice in Wonderland to retransmit me to the total dream of innocence, and I'm waiting for chilled Roland to come to the final darkest tower, and I'm waiting for Aphrodite to grow live arms at a final disarmament conference in a new rebirth of wonder. I'm waiting to get some intimations of immortality by collecting my early childhood, and I'm waiting for the green mornings to come again, youth's dumb green fields come back again, and I'm waiting for some strains of unpremeditated art to shake my typewriter, and I'm waiting to write the great indelible poem, and I'm waiting for the last long careless rapture, and I'm perpetually waiting for the fleeing lovers on the Grecian urn to catch each other up at last and embrace and I'm awaiting perpetually and forever a renaissance of wonder. That's nice. And you pulled that from... That's for Getty, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, if we've got like a... Strong. If we've got a theme of like... We've got all these people who are like... And I guess that does show in some way some love for America. There's this longing for it to be different. Or it to be something other than it was, or 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 more like what it had promised to be. What is it that it? I mean, do we see like things? What do you think is coming through as the things people are 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 longing for in these poems? Uh, something that they something that got something that got sold down the river, a fucking idea that doesn't really exist, and that they're like sentimental for a time that they were promised that was coming back again but never came back again yeah that's what it is it's it's some thought of america that was still hanging high in the minds of the modernists in such a strong way where it was like they couldn't escape they couldn't escape like even even williams like was 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 working through it but he he knew that he couldn't escape this sort of like grave sense of American, like, American, like, this old way of thinking that America was, re, like, reshaped again in the fifth, like, in the mid-century into something completely different after we lost it after the First World War and then it never really ended. Except, like, William that, that seems industrial... to understand, which I think he's right, that that deception is there from the beginning. It is there from the beginning. You know? It is there from the beginning. That's what, that's what, that's what, um, that's exactly what, uh, was said by, um, Sonia Sanchez. Yeah. You know? 
And that's exactly what was said by, you know, a few of these other poets. And maybe that's the real problem, right? Is it's like, it's not, and that's the problem with the founding fathers to begin with is like, it was too, trying to be too idealistic. Like, yep. You can believe in, in, in ideals, but still recognize that it's impossible in some way. I mean, I don't know. And maybe that's the big, maybe that's like the biggest flaw of America is not letting things be real. I think the poets are trying to make up for it in some ways. You think the poets little are little expiations? <laughs> How can we make up for it quicker? Do you think? Do you think that's possible? Well, I, I do. I mean, I think it is possible, but I think it's like, I mean, I think the poet's job, right? And I think all these poets we've been reading today or at least trying to do that is to not let people give simple narratives about things, right? Like that's, that's where all the deception comes from. Like the poet's job is to make things as complex as they really are, to make things not, I mean, that's how people achieve lies, right? Is by making simple narratives, by making it about some ideal, about moralizing things that aren't really moral issues because then you can trick people into doing what you want. Mm -hmm. And poetry is the opposite of that. Poetry is trying to let things be complicated and difficult to compress into like some swallowable pill. It's all the different words that like, if you, if you, if you really start to look at like, a dictionary and consider it how it works in like a visual a visual sense like if you could have a three-dimensional dictionary if you could walk into a room and see how a dictionary relates not just not just as a dictionary but like but like as a as a uh, as like a, a imagine if you could take like a dictionary and word a word etymology dictionary and a thesaurus and look at those three things in a three-dimensional space and see how like all the words do relate relate like if the bubbles if the venn diagrams become three-dimensional so you start to look at it well yeah three, okay, i mean so that, let's, that's interesting so just consider that and then and then consider what you were saying where it's like it's like the idea of a poet is is like the poet's goal is to like make everything like as complex as it can be so then you have to like understand like a simple concept and break it down into say like okay how do you break down something that's like so dynamic as like art or a book and then you can draw it and you can create it and visualize it in a three-dimensional space that is like kind of like the work of a poet but you have to create a three-dimensional space with a two-dimensional plane of language absolutely yeah but i mean i think yeah, sure. I mean, and there's lots of ways to do that, right? But, like, that's the job of a poet. And I think the reason is, like, because that's what society needs is society needs to be less worried about understanding everything, about less worried about, I mean, it's good to understand things when you really understand them, but tricking yourself into thinking you understand things that you don't really understand or thinking things are simpler than they actually are is not helpful, right? And you're right. I mean, but even the even something seemingly simple like one word is not simple. Like not. like you're, you know, it, it in reality and that needs to be called attention to. And then when you're thinking about things that are are more I mean, it does relate to politics and it relates to those things. When someone says liberty, and they're using it in a simplistic sense. That's how you justify all kinds of evil shit. It is. Absolutely. You know? 
And that's why, you know, I mean, I, that's why, I mean, I mean, like, poets are trying, right? Like, poets are trying to at least not make that possible. Right? I don't think poets understand that that's not, that that kind of use of language is how a lot of these things happen, right? Trying to reinvigorate language, change it into something that's not a tool of oppression, right? Like, of, of just... <laughs> You know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what a what a cheery episode. But I mean it's just not it's not a cheery time right now. I mean I don't Let's see this other one, our caller you know? our caller sent in. Yeah, yeah. By Allison Adele Hedge Hedgecoke. America I sing back. For Phil Young, my father, Robert Hedgecoke. Whitman and Hughes. America, I sing back, sing back what sung you in. Sing back the moment you cherished breath. Sing you home into yourself and back to reason. Oh, America began to sing. Be, oh, oh, America, oh, before America began to sing, I sung her to sleep, held her cradle board, wept her into day. My son gave her creation, prepare her for delivery, held her, service cord, beautifully beaded. My son, my song helped her stand, held her hand for first steps, nourished her for being, for very being, fed her, placed her three sisters strong. My song comforted her as she battled my reason, broke my long, held footing sure as any child might do lo as she pushed herself away forced me to remove myself as i cried this country my song grew roses in, in each tears fall my blood veined rivers painted pipestone quarries circled canyons while she made herself maiden fine oh but here i am here i am here i remain high on each and every peak carefully rumbling, rumbling, her great underbelly prepared to pour forth singing, and sing again I will, and I, and as have always done. Who, what, I'm, I was a little confused in that. Who, who's the speaker supposed to be in that poem? Hmm. Or is it just not? I mean, I, I is that supposed to be metaphorical? The like before it was before America was born. Yeah, sing you back. Which maybe I mean I do think that's interesting, right? And like that's the difficult thing, right? It is that kind of idea. Is is America what? And I mean that kind of brings us back to Whitman too, right? Is America what the government says it is? Is it what? The laws are what the politicians say it is, or is it what the people hold in their hearts, right? Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, one, one, is, one is existing within the other. Well, but like, I guess that poem's kind of saying, no, it's what people hold in their hearts. It existed before it even existed. Yeah, that is what the poem is saying. You know? Which, I don't know is nice in some ways, but then in other ways it's like, is that America or is that something else? Is that humanity? Should that be humanity rather than America? I don't know how tied I am to being, I like an American, right? Is that, are those things she's talking about? I think those are beautiful things, but it's like, is that really America or is that just being a human? Yeah, I mean, I've thought a lot about this because, like, you know, all these things are, like, coming up and being talked about and heated today in today's news and zeitgeist and what's being talked about every day in the media and all this, you know. And, yeah, it's, it's intense, like, what's going on right now. But I'm, like, I'm, like, you know, like, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to, like, think about for a second, is it wrong of me to, like, Sorry. Is it wrong of me to like think like about my identity as a Hungarian American? Like I'm, and like my family got here around 1900, 
into mm-hmm. America, you know, like right after the right after the turn of the century. Like mm-hmm. that's when my, you know, Eastern European different family groups from my mom, my mother's and my father's side, like I'm looking at that and I'm like saying like, okay, you know, how do we participate in this, in this for the last hundred years? Like we're like, I'm trying to like reckon with that. Like when my, when my set comes in, what, what, what do we do from there? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, but I mean, I think that does relate to that though. Cause it's like, what, That'd be great. I wish America was a place we could be proud of, and it maybe it could become that again. I'm not saying that's impossible, but do we really? I mean, I also think part of this is like a, a way that people decide to identify, right? Yeah. Like, wh- I don't know that we need to identify as American, or like that's a choice, and like it's only maybe a choice that should be made if we think we can save it or do something good sure. with it. And I don't know. Maybe we can, maybe we can't. I have no idea. But maybe there's a point you got to let it go, too. <laughs> there is a point you got to <laughs> let it go. I mean, I, I, I don't really know where we're headed. You know, I can't say that I have, like, necessarily, like, a really hopeful, positive view of where we're headed. I mean... Well, it's hard to right now, you know? It's hard to right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like today, as we're recording this, probably... We've got some weird fascist Fourth of July ceremony with tanks and jets going on in that, D.C. for the first really, time ever. Is that really what's happening? Yeah, that's really what's happening. There's a military parade with tanks that they brought from Georgia. Brought up from Georgia so he can have his little, you know. Meanwhile, you know, we've got... Just horrible immigrants being put into fucking cages, you know, jammed into cages. It's like you can't like how those things are not like, I don't know. I mean, I don't don't know how you can really have a happy fourth of July today, realistically, Uh, you know. And that's and like that's one of those basic things, right? Like that was the whole one of the whole points of America is we're going to take in we believe in the value of people, right? We're going to take them in. It's not about being exclusionary or being, you know. But it went off track really early on that. Really early. But now it's like Taking it to the extreme. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I mean. Huh. And I mean, I don't know. And it's like, maybe if people read stuff, maybe if we had politicians who read literature. Do you think there's a single politician in office in America right now who's read in the American green? Uh, maybe. I doubt it. Uh, I think I think maybe. I think maybe. I don't think so. Even the people even the politicians who read somewhat, they're not reading that. Maybe. Maybe a local politician, not a national politician. <laughs> no one in the Senate, no one in the House of Representatives, no one is read. They've probably not read Cato, Cory Booker. No way. No way. You know, and that's the problem. There, it's even even the people who are supposedly thinkers or supposedly liberal, they've got no basis to even understand America from. You know, <laughs> well, there's no way of ending this on a happy note. But you know what? When I was thinking about America poems, what I what I thought about. Our, our absent poet friend was Thaddeus Conti. Oh, Thaddeus. And <laughs> uh, his, his poem, he used to, when he ran the neutral ground reading, he would always close the reading with this poem. Uh, and you know what? I think it's even more appropriate today than it was when he wrote it, <laughs> especially thinking about the immigrant stuff. 
So maybe we'll close with Thaddeus Conti's Invite to the Pestilent. Do you remember this? <laughs> oh, no. Do you remember it? No. All right. Invite to the Pestilent. America soda pops a bubble in every eye around the globe. It propagates no lies. America is what it is, and it lives as a child who played his video games dutifully by Christ. I am a qualified American. I hereby invite all to come to America, the big bad wolf salivating hungry, where the eye looks it sees, and you'll see America. What does it mean to remember? It'll be a fucking sad affair when they close the door. Who's going to marry the unwanted? Who's going to fix all these broke-down cars? Who's going to understand all the angels with emotional issues or down a dark road on the side of the airport where the truth is and America lives? Fine dining dilettantes, class distinct debauchees, dirt-hearted debutantes, don't touch my America. Fuck those hyper-driving web-linking shitfuckers. I'll not waste a Polaroid on their America. I'll give you my America. I'll let me fuck you like it's the 4th of July, America, with a tomato in your cunt and a sparkler in your hand screaming, give me a reason to want to be free. Legalize sodomy. We'll find a farmhand willing to cook up a bunch of speed, and we'll feel shame in the sunlight, picking scabs where we cut our wrists, feigning injuries to avoid imprisonment, sitting next to a Native American putting cigarettes out on her arm. We'll take back the innocent America, the naive fucks on their first date America, and turn it into an identity-thieving, cleavage-bearing knife fight with someone who's willing to cheat on his taxes, America. All the middle-aged adolescents will be scoring and waiting for the odd waitress who likes to dance to get off work from a shitty job so they can get the odd blowjob, America. And we'll be close to something, like a red-eyed trucker the lot lizard's lunch depends on, and lunch is just another hit. America, what of ideals? Someone says, who deals? Down on the carpet, burning knees. I'll take a light beer and a handful of these. A dollar's worth? Dollar's worth? Make it a hundred dollar's worth, goddammit. This is America. Buffets, free delivery, everybody's dream ends at 99 cents. I promise adultery. Adulterated adults acting like kids to get what they want, and when it's Christmas, they'll step on wrists and throats to get the biggest fucking toy for their brat. That's America. I'll be damned if it's dead. America lives in a full-on blackout, making a turn well past the required speed limit, so don't worry about the radio station. America lives in the scratched-out serial numbers on a 9mm, in a cop-killing, plotting, looting, pirating, conspiring, homeless, homesick America. Founded by revolution, unresolved from the greatness of the villains who went before us, so pack your bags and prepare to vilify the sacred, because empathy is obsolete. And America lives. I don't know. <laughs> I think that was the best poem we've heard all day. Still pretty, pretty accurate. I still, think. still very accurate. <laughs> all right. Well, you know. I love you. I miss you. Yeah. Uh, you know. I know it's a little depressing, but maybe we gotta be depressed right now. Uh, like so let's fix this shit <laughs> try to at least huh yeah alright well look your America in the eye and <laughs> slice it in two alright well Part we're gonna seven. we're gonna keep nine. putting some poetry out in the world and I think at least in some small way maybe that'll help I think that's the best thing we all can do all right, we'll see y'all again next week.